uh, test. You know, I, I, I know some of you are uh, relatively impatient like me, and I, I don't know that you'd do very well with that. I was trying to decide who should preach this sermon. I thought of Brandon or Corey, and both of them are impatient like me, so I got stuck with this. So uh, we're going to talk about patience today. Uh, I just wanted to update you on another uh, situation. Um, on Wednesday uh, late morning, uh, Jackie Lingle uh, got a call that uh, a kidney was available. She's been on dialysis for several years. And she and Chuck were about ready to go play golf. They put some stuff in a bag and went to Mayo Clinic. By Wednesday afternoon, she had a new kidney. And uh, isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, how quickly they do these things. Now, at the same time, this is the sad part. There, she couldn't find a, a living donor. So a 68-year-old woman uh, passed away from a stroke. And thank God for her foresight. Uh, she agreed to have her organs donated and Jackie received uh, that kidney. Uh, I saw her Thursday uh, afternoon, and uh, she was doing great, ready to come home. She came home yesterday, so that's wonderful. But after I saw her on my way uh, back uh, to the cities, uh, or to Chandler, I got a call about Sabina at the Chandler Hospital. So we were there, and, uh, and watching uh, Ryan and Laura uh, care for their baby uh, in the midst of these seizures was very, very difficult. And it also reminded me of how wonderful God is in giving the patience and the tenderness that He needs to give parents uh, during those times of stress and difficulty. So I just want to lift up for uh, just a moment uh, prayer for these two and uh, ask you if you will to join me in prayer. Father, we are so deeply grateful uh, this morning that uh, Jackie is home from the hospital with a new kidney that seems to be functioning perfectly. And uh, Sabina is home uh, on medication that's keeping her from having any more uh, seizures, and we thank you for that. We pray, Father, for your complete and total healing for Sabina, that uh, she would not have these seizures anymore, and eventually she'd be able to go off of this medication. And we also thank you, Father, for Jackie. We pray that her body would receive this organ and and that she'd be very healthy. And at the same time, Lord, we pray for this, the family of this woman who passed away and with great faith offered her organs to bring a gift of life to others. So Lord, all of these situations we offer to you and knowing that you are our heavenly Father and you love us and desire every good thing for us. So bless them, Father. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So we come to uh, this series that we have been preaching now. This is the fifth week on God's transforming power. And I just want to remind you of the overall uh, message of the text that we're looking at. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. And in that uh, great text that Paul reminds us that there are two kingdoms at work. Uh, there's this kingdom of man over here, and in this kingdom of man, there's this struggle with selfishness and self-centeredness and um, uh, under, trying to understand what's the best thing for me and uh, kind of figuring out how to, how to make my life work over in this realm. And this, by the way, this kingdom of man, this is a broken world. 
Uh, it's diseased and it's hurting constantly. We, we see that all around us, but that's the kingdom of man. Paul says, you have a choice. You can live in this realm. A lot of people do. Probably six billion people on this planet do. You, you can live in this realm or you can live over here in the realm of the Spirit of God. This is where God's Spirit is alive in you, and this is where God's Spirit brings you grace and peace and hope. This is what we call the upper half or the penthouse of living, where we find God's grace and we find joy and peace and all that. And over here is kind of the outhouse of life, where we find condemnation and self-destruction and all of those things. And Paul basically says, you have a choice. And so that brings us to our text. That's the big idea in this series. And uh, let's read the text together. Um, I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians 5 if you have your Bibles. Uh, some of you, like me, are old school. You like the feel of, uh, you know, real leather and smell of India ink and all that. And some of you have your devices and uh, turn off Angry Bird and turn on your Bible. By the way, uh, if you don't know this, but there is a, a, a free app that's called Uversion. How many of you have Uversion? Okay, a lot. Uversion was designed by a guy at a covenant church in Oklahoma City. And, uh, and it's been out there for about, oh, I think six, seven years. It's been out, one of the first apps that uh, came out. And it's free. Download it. You have access to the Bible. You have access to verses of the day, Bible studies, different Lenten studies, all kinds of stuff. So Uversion, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. So uh, check that out. So uh, open your Bibles, your devices. We'll also have sermon notes in your bulletin. Uh, the text is there and also on the screen. Uh, we want to give you every opportunity to have the Word of God around you and in you. So that's why we provide so many options. So this is um, the Word of the Lord for the people of the Lord, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Paul is speaking. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. This is the upper half. This is the kingdom of God. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That's over here, the sinful nature. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So you have these two forces pulling back and forth on you. You, you all kind of know what that's like, right? These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, living over here, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Next paragraph. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, you're over here and you're pressing into your own sinful nature, right? Uh, the, re the results are clear. When you live this way, the things that naturally come out of your life, the, the, the uh, fruit that naturally comes out of your life are as follows, Paul says. And then he gives a list of sins. Now, if your sins are not listed here, feel free to list your own because they're in there. They're just kind of hidden from you and, and you know what they are. But here's the list and it's not a complete list, but here's what he said. Living this kind of life, selfish, self-indulgent, will always bear fruit that looks like this. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very, very harsh word there. Uh, next paragraph. But, over here, right? Spirit of God. 
But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. So if you're living with the Spirit of God in your life, alive, and you're alive to the Spirit, the kind of things that naturally come out of your life, that naturally grow out of your life, remember we talked about that, uh, the Spirit of God comes alive in your life, it grows in your life, it bears fruit, and that fruit comes out of your life. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So if you're living with the Spirit, here's the fruit that comes out of your life. And then he gives another list. And his list looks a lot better than the first list. Okay? Love. Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross. Those who belong here have nailed these things to the cross. It's not like we just have to have strong will and good discipline to not live this kind of life. No, we need to literally nail our selfish desires to the cross. That's what he's saying and uh, nailed them to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So we've, we've talked about these um, gifts of the Spirit now these last weeks. Uh, three weeks ago, we talked about love. And uh, of all the things that uh, are the most important, well, the only thing that's the most important over all the gifts, the one thing that rises above everything else is love. I mean, Jesus said it dozens and dozens of times. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything we do, every thought that we have, every action we take, every political thought, every financial thought, every relational thought, every idea, every desire, everything should come through that grid of love. That's more important than any other commandment ever given in the history of man. Jesus said that over and over again. This is the most important. You get this one right, the rest of the things fall in place. You don't get this one right, doesn't matter how much you memorize the Bible, how much you try to live a good life, you're going to fail. Love is the thing that matters the most. And so we left you with the question, what does love require? What does love require in your home, with your spouse, your children, your parents? What does love require at your job, at your school, where you play, what does, love require, what does love require when we go down to the park this afternoon and have a picnic? What does love require of your enemies, of those who are different from you, who have a different lifestyle, who, those who are lazy, those who are incompetent, those who you just don't like being around? What does love require of all of these people? Because all of these other commandments flow from this idea of loving God and loving each other. So we talked about love. Then the second week we talked about joy. And we recognized that joy... And happiness are two different things. Happiness is always dependent upon and connected to circumstances. Happiness is when everything kind of is going good in your life and everything's great and then you feel happy. Joy is independent of circumstances. Joy is that substantive Christ in you that gives you the sense of peace and purpose no matter what the circumstances on the outside. Joy is when you recognize what Christ has done for you. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. He has, he has given you a ticket that, that is good for all eternity. He has done all of these things for you. When you recognize that, believe that, and understand that this kind of life can be lived over here, when this kind of spirit-filled life can be lived even in a broken world, it gives you joy. Not always happiness, but there's that joy that's constantly with you. Uh, Thursday afternoon, when I was with Ryan and Laura at the hospital, um, there's all kinds of crazy things going on inside an uh, uh, emergency room. In fact, one time, they moved us out in the hall. So here's little Sabina. 
sound asleep with, you know, a little IV in her foot, and we're carrying this thing out, and we're out in the hall because they're bringing in people from accidents and stuff like that, and in the midst of all this, you should have seen your worship pastor and his wife. There was this solid, steady, you know, we're very concerned, but God is present with us. We know that God has our back. We know there was this sense of joy and peace in the midst of all of this chaos. That's not happiness. That's not giddiness. That's something deep inside of you. So that's what we looked at two weeks ago, uh, joy. And then last week we looked at peace. And we recognized that peace is not around us. We can't find it. We can't attach ourselves to it. Every, pa- every president in the history of the United States has said in their inaugural speech that under my watch we're going to have peace. And every one of them have been wrong because peace in this world is something we have not found. But we did discover how that you can experience peace The peace of God, peace of God because God is in you. Peace with God because you're no longer at enmity with God. You're no longer fighting God. Ephesians 2, the wall of hostility has been broken down. And we can have peace in our world. We can. Christ follows. We can have peace in our world. Well, how do we do that? Well, we talked about how that it's our responsibility where it's possible, uh, where it's possible with all men to have have peace with all men. So it's our responsibility to take personal responsibility for peace in our world. We have all of that available to us. And then we talked about, today we talk about patient. Now, I've, I had a long introduction so you could exhibit patience and saying, okay, when's he going to get to the message? Okay, so, so already you've, you've uh, some of you failed because you're sleeping, but the rest of you are doing good. So, so here's the deal. Patience. I'm not very good at it, but Brandon and Corey are worse at it, so here I am. Uh, so, patience. Uh, uh, Patience. Uh, the other night, a couple weeks ago, uh, the direct TV went out. It was about 10 o'clock at night. Sherry was already in bed. And because I was watching Sports Center, that was inconvenient for me. So I got impatient. And I called. You know, they have a helpline. They walk you through everything that you do and you hook up, check everything, and try to get it come back on. And so I was on with this uh, mechanical person, right? It's a voice, right? It's, it's a, a voice directed response, it's not a live person. And she's walking me through the very nice voice, but I knew that there was nothing behind it. And, uh, very, you know, walking me through this and saying, well, uh, now try this and now try that. How's this? What do you think about this? Give me your response. I give the response. I didn't understand that response, you know, all of that stuff. And finally, I got so frustrated. I said, you idiot. <laughs> this is true. She said, uh, did I hear you say, you idiot? That response is not, uh, I don't understand that response. I mean, she gave it right back to me, you know, you idiot. So uh, this is a true story. A man, a few years ago, his name was Bill, um, was responsible for his aunt's estate. His aunt passed away in January a few years ago, and uh, Bill was taking care of her estate. And one of the things, kind of the little niggling things that bothered him was they kept getting statements from Citibank for a credit card that she had. Now, the credit card, when she died, the balance was zero. But as soon as the calendar turned to January, they assessed a $50 fee for their annual fee, and then because nothing was paid, they started adding penalties and interest to this. So now the bill is about $60. They keep getting notices. Bill gets fed up. Finally, he calls Citibank. This is an actual transcript from Citibank, okay? Here we go. Bill, I'm calling to tell you that my aunt died in January. Citibank, the account was never closed and the late fees and charges still apply. 
some, some person, some idiot, is reading off of a script, right? Bill, maybe you should turn it over to collections. Citibank, since it's two months past due, it already has been. Bill, so what will they do when they find out she's dead? Citibank, either report her account to the frauds division or report her to the credit bureau, maybe both. Bill, do you think God will be mad at her? Citibank, excuse me? Bill, did you just get what I was telling you, the part about her being dead? Citibank, sir, you'll have to speak to my supervisor. Supervisor gets on the phone. Bill, I'm calling you to tell my aunt died in January. Citibank, the account was never closed and the late fees and charges still apply. Supervisor still reading from a script. Bill, you mean you want to collect from her estate? Supervisor, stammering, are you her lawyer? <laughs> Bill, no, I'm her nephew. But then he gives the, lawyer the, law, the law firm's information. Uh, Citibank, could you fax us a certificate of death? Bill, sure. Fax number is given after they get the fax. Citibank, our system just isn't set up for death. I don't know what more I can help you, do to help you. Bill, well, if you figure it out, great. If not, you should keep billing her. I don't think she will mind. <laughs> Citibank, well, the late fees and charges do still apply. Bill, would you like your new billing address? <laughs> Citibank, that might help. Bill, Odessa Memorial Cemetery, Highway 129, Plot 69. Citibank, sir, that's a cemetery. Bill, what do you do with dead people on your planet? So Bill <laughs> kind of ran out of steam. He kind of ran out of patience there. But I, I think we all hate to wait. I mean, we do. We, we hate to wait. Uh, how about this? Do you know that the cost to society for Americans running red lights is $7 billion? Now, Phoenix is the city that we run more red lights in Phoenix than any other city in the United States. I don't know if you knew that. Okay. $7 billion the cost of medical damage, automobile damage, etc. Do you know how much the average time saved every time you run a red light? 45 seconds. $7 billion. We hate to wait. Yet Paul identifies patience as one of those gifts of the Spirit that come out of this life in the Spirit. When the Spirit of God in us, we, we love love, right? We love that. And we love joy because that, oh man, that's awesome. We love peace. We love to be at peace with God. But patience, that kind of seems like something that belongs over here in the little kingdom, in the kingdom of man. But he says one of those gifts of the Spirit is patience. Now, what does patience mean? The Greek word is makrothumos. Makrothumos. Now, two parts to that word, and you kind of hear both. Uh, a lot of our language uh, is based on Latin, but a lot of our language is also based on Greek. I don't know if you realize that. So, macrothumos. Macro means big, huge, far, long, right? Thumos, you hear the word thermal or thermo or thermometer. Uh, it means heat or boil. So, you put those together. Patience is long, far away distance until hot. Long, far away distance until hot, or long, hot, long, boil. Patience is we have the ability to be a long time before we get hot, angry, mad, irate, furious. Okay, a long time until we get there. That's what patience is. So we ask the question, as Christ followers, as those of us who desire to live in the Spirit over here, why is it so hard for us to be patient? Well, I think there's really three reasons why it's difficult, and we'll look at those, and then we'll look at some 
uh, characteristics of patience from God's Word that will help you understand how it's a virtue. But let's first look at some of the causes for impatience. The first one is this. People disappoint you. How many of you have ever had uh, somebody disappoint you? Okay. How many of you have had someone disappoint you in the last week? Right? I mean, people disappoint you. Now, Paul, the apostle, was not known as an overly patient man. Now, he wrote about patience because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He didn't have a choice. But he himself wasn't a very patient man. But he recognized that there were people in his life that caused him great anxiety, and he became very impatient. One of those of Christ followers that was a, a kind of a friend and a colleague of Paul was Demas. Now, if you ever want to learn about patience, read 2 Timothy. It's a short book. It'll take you 20 minutes to read it. But 2 Timothy is a book a lot about how we are supposed to wait patiently and how difficult it is to wait patiently. So here's what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, about his friend Demas. He said, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. Now, two things there. We don't know a lot about Demas after this. The Bible doesn't talk about him much. But we know two things. Demas deserted me, so Paul was going this way. Demas started going this way. In addition to that, Demas deserted me because he loves the things of this life. So not only did he go a different direction, he had different values. Demas somehow had determined that the values of the little kingdom, all of those things that we embrace, all of those things that we have come to believe will fulfill us. Uh, money, power, position, popularity, sex, uh, drugs, alcohol, anything that we think will kind of jack us up, anything that will make us feel good, anything that will make us feel happy. And we kind of embrace those things. Now, all of us have struggled with that, and we know the struggle between this life and this life. But Demas, a Christ follower, said, you know what? Kind of like the Israelites, after they were in the wilderness for a while, they said, you know, you know, we're eating manna. It's kind of like Wonder Bread on steroids. We're, we're eating quail. We have fresh water. But man, the onions and leeks we used to have back in Egypt, those sound so good right about now. You know, I mean, you know, we, we, we knew what we were doing. Uh, we knew exactly what you No, We didn't have any freedom, free of time. People told us exactly. So maybe, maybe the life of Egypt wasn't so bad. And that's what happened to Demas. He said, you know that life I used to live? Uh, maybe there's something I miss about it. It's a relationship or there's something in that life. And he deserted Paul. Not only went a different direction, he had different values. He said, I'm going to embrace that old life. You know, you know people like that? Uh, you've had people like that in your life? Uh, friends? relatives, sometimes a spouse, children, who say, you know what, I, I've been raised this way and I know about Jesus, and yeah, when I was seven years old, I gave my heart to Christ, and all, but man, this college scene and this new life that I have and these relationships I have and, and this partying and everything, this is pretty good, and, and you've somehow come to believe that that's fulfilling and it satisfies, and that's what happened with Demas. That's what happens with us. We maybe do it on lesser levels. You know, we have kind of have this love equilibrium. You know, we, we say we, we love God, but we also say we love tacos. You know, so we kind of bring up the same level, you know. God says, no, you, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love people is just, this matters more than anything else up here. Now, these other, you can love these other things, you know. You can love food, and you can love recreation, and you can love your spouse, certainly. And that's all good, but you always keep them in balance. It's when, we go, when this happens. Yeah, God, you're okay. uh, no, no, and, and all of a sudden God is down lower, and that's what happened to Demas. That's what happens to us. People disappoint us. 
They disappoint us. But beyond that, uh, beyond people, there's also problems. Problems blindside us. Uh, Paul talks about this. He talks about a friend named Alexander. Um, in 2 Timothy 4, it says, Alexander did, did much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. And we, again, we don't know a lot about Alexander, but there was opposition to Paul's ministry, what he was doing. There were roadblocks. There were contentious people. There was distress and disease. There was all these problems. And it just it overwhelms us. So uh, people disappoint us. Problems blindside us. And then pressures overwhelm us. You know that, how that looks? I mean, can you imagine uh, on Thursday morning, uh, uh, Ryan was sitting in, we had our uh, cluster meeting, which is all the covenant pastors from Phoenix and Tucson, together at our church about once every three months. And that was our meeting on Thursday. And Ryan was there with the rest of our staff, and we were having a good time. And all of a sudden, Ryan gets a text, and he has to run home. The nanny calls or texts and says, uh, something's wrong with Sabina. I don't know what's going on. So he goes home, takes her to the hospital, sees her having a seizure. Uh, Aislinn is terrified at all of this and um, take her to the hospital. Uh, Laura's already at the hospital working there. She comes in. And, and so within a matter of 30 seconds, their lives are turned upside down. I mean, there's all of this, these problems, all of these pressures. What do we do? God, what's happening? Is our baby going to be all right? All of these are, things are taking place. The Bible says that in the midst of all of those circumstances, all of those problems, the Bible says clearly, the Lord says, I will rescue you. I will stand beside you. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Um, this is an amazing passage. And uh, listen to what Paul said. Remember, this passage is about um, uh, patience and suffering and all of that. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Now, this is Paul. He's had all of these guys traveling with him, doing missionary work with him, and they're dropping like flies, and there's nobody with him. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. Now, so it wasn't just the other missionaries, but the Christ followers that he had led to Christ that were kind of following him. Even they abandoned him. Kind of feels like Jesus, right, when he was taken to the praetorium and nobody was with him. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. That also sounds like Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But the Lord stood with me, Paul said. Nobody was around me, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom all glory to God forever and ever. Isn't that amazing? The Lord will rescue you. Paul seems to recognize that the key to overcoming people problems, people problems and pressure, is to patiently wait upon the Lord. On the other side of the problems, the Lord is always standing there. On the other side of the disaster, the Lord is always standing there. And here's the good news. Even while the disaster is going on, the Lord is standing with you. He said, I will rescue you. So no matter what happens, people disappoint you. Problems arise. Pressures are all around you. God says, I promise you that I will be with you so you can patiently wait. So those are some of the reasons that we are impatient, people and problems and pressures, right? But let me now give you some benefits 
of patient waiting. What are some things that God promises for us, those of us who wait patiently for the Lord? The first thing in this, all of these are from God's Word. The first thing is this, patience refines our character. How many did not want to hear that today? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, some of you went like this, you know, but I know, you know, you shot your hand up like that. It refines our character. Patient waiting refines our character. Uh, Paul wrote these words in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. We can rejoice too, also, when we run into problems. Oh, yeah? James said the same thing, right? You know, rejoice in all your troubles. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know what? That they are, what? Say it with me. Yeah, that was very weak. Let's try it again. What does it say? They're good for us. Thank you. They help us learn to be patient, and patience develops strength of character in us. And you're saying, I'll pass. I'll learn it on my own. You know, God, I don't need any help with this patience thing. I'll learn it on my own. A study was done recently in prison life. And people that have been incarcerated for more than five years, they've done a study on what happens to them when they get out of prison. You know, there's a high rate of recidivism, unfortunately. So there's that going on. But is there a difference between those who are in prison and have a focused purpose? They're working on their character. They're going to chapel. They're going to Bible study. They're working out in the weight room. Uh, they're uh, going to the library and studying and working on a degree. They're doing these people that build their character. Here's what the results of that study said: four times more those people stay out of prison than those who don't. And one um, a warden said it this way: In other words, they develop their character while incarcerated. They develop their character while incarcerated. Do you ever feel like you're in prison? <laughs> when all the problems are around you, when all the things are going on around you, people problems, issues, pressures, problems, you ever feel like you're in prison? I imagine that's exactly what they felt like. Illness, depression, job, kids. But remember the promise of God. On the other side of all of those things stands God. On the other side of those things stand God. In the midst of those things stands God. And he says, I will rescue you. So it refines our character. Patience refines our character. It also refocuses our purpose. It refocuses our purpose. So there is a story in the Bible about a woman by the name of Hannah. Uh, this is in uh, 1 Samuel 1 to 3. And uh, Hannah was married to a man by the name of Elkanah, you know, kind of a funny name, but it wasn't funny, you know, back then. And uh, Hannah prayed to the Lord. She was a, a, a wonderful, godly woman, very devout. She prayed often to the Lord. Elkanah was kind of a goofball. Uh, even though he knew God's plan was to have only one wife, you know, for life kind of a thing, he had more than one wife. A lot of people did back in those days. You say, well, was that God's plan? Of course it wasn't. God made his plan very clear about marriage being one wife, one man for life. Anyway, so she, he, uh, Elkanah had this other wife, and her name was Peninnah. And um, so Hannah would pray, Lord, please give me a family. I want children. I love children. I want children. I believe that you're going to fill my life with children. And, and God said, I promise you, Hannah, you're going to have children. I promise you that. And so she waited. And she waited patiently. And she prayed. And she asked the Lord. And then something weird started to happen. Penina, the other wife, started cranking out kids. Okay, now that's a problem for Hannah. 
you would expect, right? So here's this, this other wife, not even wife number one, this other wife is now having, here, look at my baby, you know, Hannah, you don't have one, look at one of these, these are cool, cool, aren't they cute? And then she had another one, you know, another, and Hannah all this time, patiently, patiently waiting. Well, years later, God grants Hannah her request. She has a baby, and that baby's name is Samuel, and Samuel um, how many have ever heard of uh, Penn and his kids? Yeah, right, because we don't know what they are. Nobody's ever heard of Penn and his kids because they probably all turned out to be dirtbags. We don't know, but we've never heard anything. But we know how Hannah's son Samuel turned out. All of those years of patient waiting, all of, uh, during that time, Hannah developed a prayer life. During that life, she developed an interior life about, uh, about waiting for the Lord. She developed this wonderful spirit of grace towards Peninnah. She even shows grace towards Peninnah and Elkanah. And it's incredible. All of this interior life was being developed. Now, she could have been bitter. She could have been mad. She could have been mad at God. You promised me and all that. But instead, she developed this inner life. Now, how do you th- think Samuel became such a man of God? Because of his mother. She was developed, all of that inner life was developed in her, and how do you think she poured in that inner life onto her child, and her son Samuel became one of the great men in the history of, God, of the Bible. Amazing story of patient waiting. Patient waiting, it refines us, it refocuses us, it gives us strength and character and purpose. But patient waiting has one last amazing benefit, and it's this. It reproduces Christ's character within us. Patient waiting reproduces Christ's character within us. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Timothy 1.16. This is what Paul said. Now, remember Paul's writing this. Remember Paul was the guy that used to be named Saul and was... um, We don't know if he murdered, but he was murderous towards Christians. He imprisoned them. He beat them. He was a very bad man in his previous life, Saul was. And this is what Saul said in 1 Timothy 1.16. But God had mercy on me, Paul said. Can you imagine? God had mercy on me. Now, I know you guys are bad, but God had mercy on me, he said, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Is that your verse or not, Right? That's my verse. That was Paul's verse. God can use a man like me. God can use a sinner like me. God can use a mess up like me. And he can use me in such a way that his patience is seen by all the people. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. When you share your faith with a neighbor or a friend and they hear how that now, your life hasn't always been perfect and rosy and everything, and they, but they recognize that God was able to save you. What kind of hope do you think that gives to them? You know, God can save me. You know, I, I, I see what's happened with you. God can save me. Then others will realize that they too can believe in Him and receive eternal life. Because of God's unlimited patience in our lives, we are called to be patient in the same way way. Let me ask you a question. Has Jesus ever been patient with you? Let's put it this way. Has there ever been a day when Jesus hasn't been patient with you? And just, I'm sure Jesus, you know, Jesus loves you. He's not up there trying to look for you to do bad things. When you do bad things, he's probably going, oh, 
You know, just like the DirecTV idiot, you know, come on, you can do better than this. You know, what are you doing? You know, it's never a matter of condemnation and slapping you around. It's a matter of, come on, I've been patient with you. Why don't you be patient with your kids? Come on. I've been patient with you. Why don't you be patient with your Muslim neighbor? Come on. I've been patient with you. Why don't you be patient with your neighbor? Why don't you show that kind of patience? Because if you do, then God can be glorified in that. You've all heard the story. Robert Munger teaches in his little booklet called My Heart, Christ's Home. And in that book, it's like Jesus is giving you a tour through your life, through your interior life, through your heart. And he's saying, here's the kitchen, here's your, your, your place of appetites and desires, and here's uh, this place, and, and then here's the den, and this is the place where we, we meet together. And so Jesus invites you to join him every day in the den of your heart, right? And there's a beautiful, it's a beautiful room, and there's a Bible there, and Jesus said, I'll be there, I'll meet you here every day, you know, just for a few minutes. Jesus says, I know you're busy, but I'll meet you here for a few days and uh, every, every day and we can have fellowship and I'll, I'll t- teach you things and show you my love and everything. And so at first it's awesome and you meet him every day and then you get busy and you skip a day here and there, but Jesus never condemns you. And then pretty soon you realize that it's been two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and you haven't met Jesus. And you walk by the den door one morning and the light is on and Jesus is in there. And you walk in and you say, Jesus, have you been waiting for me every day? Yeah, of course. I told you I would. Oh, I'm so sorry. He said, no, Dwayne, I don't want you to feel sorry. I just want you to know this. You, you think this time with me is about you. But I want you to know this time with me is about me. I love you. And I love being with you. And I want to be with you. And I will wait patiently for you. There's another verse that I want to share with you as we close. Some of you have waited patiently for the Lord, but some of you have still not yet pulled the trigger on this faith thing. You say, well, someday I'll consider Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Someday I might uh, say yes to God, but right now I got lots of stuff going on over here in the little kingdom. It's pretty awesome. I'm loving it. Life's good. You know, it's good. But someday I might say yes to God. But the Bible says, in the way I memorize the verse, that um, uh, I am not willing, Jesus said, I am not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Listen to the way it's written in another version. The Lord is not slow in doing what he promised, but God is being patient with you. He does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. God says, I'm being patient with you, and, you know, there's a time when you have opportunity to say yes to me and to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior, to live over here in the Spirit-filled life instead of living over here in the, in the sinful life. I, I want to live over here. But God is saying, listen, I'm patient with you, but there's an end to everything. Uh, the Bible says that, you know, once a man dies, after that, there's the judgment. I mean, we don't know when that day will be. God's saying, I'm being patient, I'm waiting for you, I keep calling you, I keep saying your name, I know you, I love you, I want you, but some of you have just said, no, not yet, not yet. Well, this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to God. He's been waiting patiently for you, and he's been saying, you know, I'll always keep loving you, I'll always keep showing you my grace, but you need to say yes to me, because when you say no, 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 pretty soon, that's going to be your final answer, but Jesus, I want to be 
in your life. I want to know you. I want to be part of your life, and I want you to love me. So would you bow your heads with me? And in a moment, I'm going to give uh, those of you an opportunity that want to to pray a prayer to receive Christ. And uh, he's been patient with you. Uh, some of you are, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, and you've always thought, yeah, I kind of like the religion thing. I kind of like the Christian thing. But, you know, this surrendering my life to Jesus, that sounds like an awful lot to do. I, I'm not sure I want to go that far. I, I kind of want to keep one foot in the little kingdom and one foot in the big kingdom. And, and Jesus was the one that said, no, you can't do that. You're either hot or cold. You can't be both. And, and so this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity to say yes to God. If you have never prayed a prayer to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to do that this morning. Not out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart, I will help you with some words that you might pray. But pray this prayer, this prayer as it's your prayer, and it's a prayer of faith. And it goes something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. My life is empty. I've spent too much time trying to embrace things that don't fulfill me. And this morning, I, I'm realizing that I want to live this life in the spirit that Pastor Dwayne's talking about. And so by faith, even though I don't have very much faith, but by faith, I want to invite Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to surrender my life to Him. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want my life to be filled with grace and peace and joy and love. I surrender my life to Him. And I invite you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and make me a brand new person. I invite you to forgive me of my sins and to allow me to spend eternity with you and with other believers in heaven. This I pray in Jesus' name. Now with your head still bowed and your eyes closed, if there are those of you that prayed that prayer this morning, I want to know that so that I can pray for you. No one's looking around, so it's just between you and the Lord and your pastor's looking on. And I'm just going to invite you, if you prayed that prayer, to raise your hand. And as you do, raise your hand to look at me so that I can see you. God bless you, hon. Yes. God bless you. Yes. Any others? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Scripture tells us that when we say yes to God, that we pass from darkness to light, from death to life. And for those of you who are believers and are pray, praying right now for these who raise their hands, what you have just witnessed in the presence of God is a miracle of the salvation of a soul. And we thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. For those in the first service and those here in the second service, Father, we thank you that they have said yes to you. They desire to live a life in the Spirit. And I praise you for that. Lord, there may be others here this morning who've said, yeah, I, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a believer, but boy, I, I just spend too much time in that little kingdom and I desire with my whole heart to give myself wholeheartedly to Jesus today. You can pray that prayer of rededication right now. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. You always call us. You always woo us. You always speak our name. Thank you that you love us that much. So now, Father, as we close this service, as we open our eyes, we are inviting you to be very present among us. And we thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.